And uh, before I get, like, uh, sort of before I dive into our message for this morning, we do want to take just a brief moment, as Pastor Rex said, that this is uh, Graduation Sunday, and I prefer to say Graduation Sunday because if you say Senior Sunday, then it gets a little confusing. Seniors, uh, what, what kind of seniors are we talking about here? So uh, I prefer Graduation Sunday. Um, and so I'm going to just call out our graduating seniors. Uh, we've got eight high school seniors and one college senior who have graduated. And uh, I know most of them, I think, were in the first two services, but we still want to verbally recognize all of them, uh, at least this afternoon. And if those who are here, if you want to stand, you can. Or if you have some words to say, we have uh, a microphone if you want to say some words to the congregation. And so for 2020, our graduating seniors are Eliana Barajas, Matthew Christensen, Macy Coronado, Harley Floss, Daisy Jagir, Aaron Mann, Reese Mueller, Alex Moore, and Austin Moeller. And so, um, for I know 2020 has been a crazy year. I know for these graduating seniors, when they, I know when they enter their senior year, they have all these expectations for um, their, their sports, their academics, uh, prom, all that kind of stuff. And I know things have sort of been wild and crazy. So I know um, it's been a little bit different for them, but I think in the long run, they will be very grateful for a special opportunity. And we still wanted to uh, give recognition and celebration for our graduating seniors. So if we could give our seniors a round of applause. <clears throat> And uh, for those seniors, like I said, uh, we do have, for the high school seniors, if, if you want to grab your sign when you leave that we have out in the, uh, in, the, in the side over here, you're welcome to do that. And then also, I had ordered some devotionals to hand out to the seniors today, but because of all the shipping, COVID kind of stuff, I think they'll come in this week. So I will get those out to you. Uh, my apologies for that. Um, that's when my fault necessarily. Um, but now as I transition into uh, this afternoon message. Um, like I said, my name is Paul Porter. I am the youth pastor here. So if you are visiting with us today, um, it, it, uh, I'm not the normal guy on the stage. They let me out of the cage every once in a while to come up here. And so my opportunity to come here today. Uh, but we'll give a little bit of a disclaimer. This will be my first third service to do in a day. So we're going to be either in for an, a, a joyful adventure or a disaster. So give it a little bit, a little grace where uh, I might need it. But for this message, I want you to start off with a question. And that question is, why are Christians still here on earth? So if all God wants from us is just to trust in Jesus, then why are Christians still here on earth? Or in other words, once someone becomes a Christian... Why don't they just go to heaven to be with Jesus? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 voiced a tension, saying, I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. 
right now, and maybe there are a lot of Christians right now here, that there is this desire, I want to leave earth and be with Jesus right now. Um, and that's a genuine desire to have, and, and that's biblical, and Paul had that desire in the scriptures. But since you are still here on earth right now, then God must have at least one reason why you're here. Okay? And so though our purpose in life is to enjoy God and glorify God, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is our mission here on earth as Christians today? Couldn't we just enjoy and glorify God in heaven? Couldn't we just do that? Today I want to share with you and declare to you what our mission is as Christians here on earth. So if you do happen to have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. Um, and, uh, and we're going to sort of camp out at verses 16 through 20. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to focus on the last chapter and the very last passage of that chapter. Um, and for those who maybe you're visiting today, uh, we use the uh, we go use the New Living Translation, so it might be a little bit different. Uh, it's a more of a modern translation, so if there are differences, it's going to be a little bit there. But with that being said, so in 2018, George Barna conducted a small study. And he discovered that only 17% of churchgoers heard of and understood the Great Commission, which is what our message today is going to be about, the Great Commission. So whether or not you have heard or know this phrase, that's not really the point I want to focus on today. But this study, the data, does show that using this language, the Great Commission, is dropping out from local churches especially in younger generations. So the question that came to me by seeing this information is, if only a few churchgoers know the phrase, the Great Commission, then how many actually know the truths of the Great Commission? Or we could say, how many have actually read and understood this Great Commission passage? So I'm going to read our passage today, and you can follow along either in your Bible in your hand or on the screen, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and baptize. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even till the end of this age. So, right before this passage, if you read the chapter or two before, Jesus was crucified and Jesus was resurrected. And, and uh, the, the women who witnessed Jesus, they were commissioned to, hey, tell my disciples, meet me over here. 
And so the disciples arrived in Galilee. And up to that point, they had only heard of this Jesus being alive again. They've only heard about it. But when he actually reached Galilee, where they were supposed to meet Jesus, they actually experienced Jesus as alive. And the response was that they worshipped him. Now, in the midst of worshipping him, we see that some of these disciples had some reservations about this experience here. And, and, and here it talks about some of them doubted. I would probably say some of them hesitated. It's probably the better translation there. But the point is, is just think of, if we're going in their shoes, you know, you have the disciples been following Jesus for a few years, their beloved teacher, rabbi, and hopeful Messiah, he's crucified, their hopes have sort of gone down, and then now they hear this news, he's alive, he's, he's been risen, um, he's right here. And they're like, oh, wow, here's, <laughs> Jesus is here, at least from my perspective. And so we get, it's, it's reasonable for some people to have some doubts or hesitations about what's really going on here. But with that being said, Jesus doesn't leave the disciples in this state. He decides to actually speak to the disciples here. And so Jesus declares to his disciples that all authority has been given to him. And with this authority, he gives his disciples a mission, a mission to accomplish. This mission is to go and make disciples. I am utterly convinced this charge to go and make disciples applies to all Christians and new disciples from that point onward. Or to simply say, when Jesus told these 11 disciples, here's the mission, here's what I want you to go accomplish, I don't think he was just telling them. He was telling them and all future disciples. So he's telling them, hey, disciples, I want you to go make more disciples. So that's what the Great Commission is about. We're making disciples. So disciples who make more disciples. So the mission, like as I said for today, is the same as it was given to them, which is to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? You might ask. Well, disciple means follower, learner, or student. A disciple is one who aims to not only listen to their teacher and associate with him and his teachings, but fully trust and agree with those teachings, obey them, and share them with others. So even in, in, in the ancient world, not just for Christians, but like if you had like a Greek philosopher, they had disciples or students or people who learned from them. And so a disciple would learn from their teacher or their rabbi, and they would learn, they would obey, and they would pass on to future generations. And so that's what discipleship looks like. That's what making disciples, and that's what we're going to go focus on today, is Christians making disciples. But when Jesus was teaching his disciples here on earth, he was teaching them truths about God, his kingdom, and how life ought to be lived. And then obviously he was telling the disciples, this is who I am, and this is why I've come here. I've come here to save the world, forgive them of their sins. I am the hopeful, I am the Messiah that has been promised in the scriptures. So today, why am I burdened, compelled, or convicted to preach this specific message at this time today. And so actually, as I was you know, preparing this message and stuff, and I always like to have some kind of image 
uh, visual analogy that sort of maybe helps um, people. So it's where, I know sometimes people, you just look at text or just hear, it can be very like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. So I actually was thinking about it, and actually I think I've got a pretty decent image to give to you that will maybe help you understand when we say, go make disciples. This is what it really sort of looks like. And so I think how we accomplish the Great Commission is very similar to the game of baseball. And uh, it was my favorite sport. I played it growing up, and I was actually recruited to play college ball, so I know a little bit about it. But with that being said, I know we're in 2020. It looks like we won't have any Major League Baseball this year at this rate. And so this might be the most baseball you get in 2020. So um, (laughs) we'll see how we uh, go about it today. So on the screen, we see that's home plate. So baseball, softball. I think we've got some softball players in here. Very similar rules. But for the most part, you, you, you first thing you do is that you, you get your batter, you get a bat, you go into the box, right? And, you're, and your goal is to get ready to hit or get on base so that you can possibly score. Now, obviously, I don't have a whole field there, but let's envision. So you got home plate on the screen, then you got first base, second base, third base, and there's home plate. So you start at home, and you try to get it on the bases and to get back to home plate to score a run. And in the game of baseball, you're trying to get more runs than your opposing team. So you're trying to score runs. But at first, it starts off with a batter getting in the box. Now, how does this relate, you know, in, in thought, in an image for Christians in regarding the Great Commission? Well, the first thing is first is in order to take a plate appearance or go to the plate in a game, the batter must be on the roster. So if you go to watch maybe a Detroit Tigers game, you know, and you're like, hey, you know, it's uh, let's grab someone from the stands. Let's, let's grab Brian from the stands. And it's like, no, no, he's not on the team. He's not on the roster. So in order to take a plate appearance, to go to the plate in a game, you've got to be on the team. You've got to be on the roster. You can't just grab random people from the stands. So once you become a follower of Jesus, you're on the roster. You're on the team. And Jesus, our head coach, calls you to go to the plate. And so think about it as a Christian. Okay, all right, my life is for the Lord. I'm out to go make disciples, fulfill the Great Commission. I'm approaching the plate, all right? Now, the thing is, when you approach the plate and you're wanting to get on base somehow, your ultimate objective, your ultimate goal is to go around all the bases and score, get back to home plate. And so I want to continue to dive into this image and see where I think it really will help us understand what it means to make disciples. So starting at home plate, now you got to go to first, second, and third. All right. So first base, I think first base is very similar in, I guess in the Christian faith would be being kind to others. Or maybe talking to someone that you haven't met or don't know. Those are some things that Christians can do. Hey, get in the first base. It's a nice, simple, easy task to do. Second base, I think some things that would be similar would be serving your neighbor, serving the community, doing um, actions to where you're actually helping other people. I think that would be second base, getting the second base. Third base, I think, would be similar things like inviting someone to church, sharing your testimony with another person, and sharing the gospel with another person. Those, I think that would be third base. But home plate, as we said here, 
our mission here as Christians, right here on earth, is to make disciples. And so think of it as we, we can go to first, we can go second, we can go to third, but if we don't go back to home plate, cross home plate, we don't score. We don't get runs. And let me just further dive into this image and sort of make you think a little bit about this. So when I said going to first base, being kind to other people, do non-Christians do that? Yeah, they do that. What about going to second base? Don't non-Christians serve the local community and other people? Yeah, they do that. Okay, what about third base? Let's think about it. Can non-Christians invite people to a building? Can they share their life story? And can they give a philosophy of life to another person? They sure can, and, and they do. Just watch social media. They do all the time. So now we've got to really, really focus and understand how do we get to home plate? What sets us apart from other people in the world who are being kind, serving, and sharing their philosophy of life with other people and their own stories? And this is the point that Jesus is seeing here, or saying here. He tells his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. No other person has authority other than Jesus. It's been given to him. There is no other teacher, supposed prophet, great thinker, religious figure that has in an ounce of authority other than Jesus. Plain and simple. And he goes on to say, says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the God of Scripture here, the Christian Scriptures, the Bible. We're not talking about any other kind of God or just some idea of God. It's very specific that there's one God as three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Very crystal clear. Jesus says this. All right? And then even the, the, the concept of baptism here. I know sometimes it can be easy to say, well, it's just a religious bath. Well, it's actually deeper than that because when you are... when. The whole point of getting baptized is that when you get baptized, you're making a public uh, affirmation. I am associated with Jesus. His teachings, his ways, I'm with him. And I agree with him. I'm going to obey him. It's very, very important. So we have to understand what that really means. And Jesus apparently says it's important. And then furthermore, in verse 20, he's going to teach these new disciples to, to obey the commands I have given you. So there truly is a truth out there. There's truths out there. And Jesus tells us there is a way and a right way to live life. He says that. So we can't sit there and say, well, I mean, everyone's got their own opinions. This philosophy of life, this, that, or the other. And Jesus is like, no, there really is a right way in which God created us humans to live. And it it blows my mind when I hear proclaiming Christians, I love and follow Jesus except blah, 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 blah. And it's like, then you don't see Jesus as your Lord. Greek word, kurios, Lord, Master. You're following, you're obeying him. That's literally what that means. So how do you love Jesus but not actually obey his teachings? Or those, I believe Jesus was wrong in this case. (laughs) Then you really don't believe in Jesus. You're not following him. He's not much of a teacher if you don't believe in his teachings. That makes no sense. So Christians... Followers of Christ understand is that we don't merely want people to be interested in Jesus. Yes, that's part of the process. Like, so yes, be kind, go to first base. Yes, help other people get to second base. Yes, go to third base to start sharing the gospel, inviting people to church. That's part of the Great Commission process. Let me, let me, let me put it in this way, though. If I was to talk to someone and say, hey, you know, 
Um, How's your team doing? Yeah, we're doing really good. We're a really good team. And if I, if I was asked that guy, well, how many runs you scored this season? Oh, we scored no runs. We scored none. No, no, no runs, no goals, no points. Now, would that be it? Would that? Would you consider that to be a good team? Okay, we've got a lot of walks, got a lot of hits, got on second, stole some bases, but we never scored a run. Could you consider that a good team? I don't think so. If you don't score the runs, if you don't accomplish your ultimate mission, then you can't say that you're a good team. You can't say that. You can't be honest with yourself with that. So as we sort of get towards the end of our time together today, I sort of do want to say, add on, in, from the scriptures we've pointed out, three requirements, at least three. There could, it could add more, but three requirements of living out the Great Commission. And the first one would be, going to make disciples requires living for Jesus. What I mean by that, we'll look at the scripture. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul writes this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're going to fulfill the Great Commission, go out to make disciples, it requires you actually living for Jesus. Fellow Christians, you can't simply say, I love and follow Jesus, but it's really about, I'm living my life with a religious, with a religious accessory alongside. That's not the Christian faith at all. There's, pocket Jesus doesn't work. You can't have a little Jesus figure, and, and that's not how this works here. We actually have to live for Jesus. And if you're thinking about the process of discipleship, meaning following a teacher, following someone's teachings, if you're not even following him, what makes you think you're going to have the motivation, the heart set, the mindset to actually want other people to follow them if you don't even follow them yourself? So it, ha- it seems to be, it has to be a requirement, not a suggestion. Yes, we're not perfect. We're going to fail but the point is, if we're, if we're actually pursuing the Lord and wanting to obey the teachings and say, yeah, I believe they're true because Jesus is Lord and has all authority, whatever he says goes, and I trust him, then we ought to follow his teachings and live them out as consistently as possible. So that's the first point. We, we must actually live for Jesus, not for ourselves. Second point, second requirement Going to, make, going to make disciples requires risk or risk-taking. Or there's going to be a risk involved. And so in Matthew 8, I'm going to give you sort of a, a synopsis of the chapter. In this chapter, there are, Jesus heals two individuals. All right? So the first individual that he heals is someone who has leprosy. And so he touches him, he heals him. Hallelujah, he's been healed. And then the, in the second healing in this chapter, there's this guy, he's running to Jesus, like, hey, and hey, I need someone, someone needs to be healed over here, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus like, well, I'll get head on over there. And he's like, no, 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 you need, you can heal him from here. I trust in you. And he's like, okay, cool. I don't have to go travel today. I just heal him from a distance. And so he heals him. Now, why do I mention this in, in connection to disciple making and taking risk? We see in the first example, Jesus actually touched a guy with leprosy. Leprosy is a contagious disease. We're all more familiar with contagious diseases now these days. He took a risk. But even furthermore, in that time and culture, when G- once Jesus touches the leper, 
he's considered ceremonially unpure. Just read the Levitical law. So think about this. Now, how does that correspond to maybe our context? Okay, so Jesus takes the risk. I'm going to heal this guy. I'm going to reach out to him, which we're called to do as Christians. Reach out to people. He takes the risk to touch the guy with leprosy. And then you, you could probably hear all the Jewish leaders, oh no, he's ceremonially on pure. He needs to leave the city now. Blah, blah, blah. In our context, it would be, oh no, oh no, he's doing something in, uh, politically incorrect. Oh no, uh, something that's cultural opinion. No, no, don't, you can't say your opinion though. Oh no, no, you're, you're, why are you doing your Christian business stuff? And it's like, yes, people are going to mock us. People are going to point out us. And in fact, there are people who wholeheartedly, because the way they see life, they think that the stuff that we do and the things that we believe in are actually mean, crude, or harmful. Now, we understand that we've got to give the grace for them to say, you know what, they're, they're, they're dark. Their minds are blind to the reality around us. That's what, which gives us that importance and urgency to not merely have people interested in Jesus, but we want them to follow Jesus, love Jesus, love his way, love his life. And so, yes, going to make disciples is going to require risk. Furthermore, it's going to require sacrifice. Furthermore, we might have to sacrifice comforts and conveniences. Yes, making disciples, building relationships to lead people to follow Jesus, it takes time. Jesus took two, two, three years on earth to get these disciples even in a position so that they could go make disciples. And yes, it's very counterintuitive to our drive-through, speedy culture. It takes time, which means we have to commit to invest the time, the resources. And so it requires risk and sacrifice. And a third point, going to make disciples requires preparation. And this is the point I really want to emphasize here. I just know my ministry experience. You know, one of the um, uh, one of the things, there are several things that I talk to maybe a student or even an adult and say, okay, why aren't you sharing your faith enough? How come you're not talking to people about Jesus and his ways enough? And they'll either say fear, which is, it's, it, fear can be a legitimate thing, but there's also the one that I hear all the time. I just, I just don't know enough. You know, if I was to go share something with you, uh, to another person and they ask a question I don't know the answer to, then I, I feel bad or I feel blah, blah, blah. And so they just decide not to do it to avoid those scenarios. But the thing is, if you would prepare yourself to get equipped and get better in those scenarios, you'll gain more confidence and you'll have that more knowledge so that you can be in a position to answer those questions. And so the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 6, 6-9 says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? And so the emphasis here is, look, we've got to put the work and effort. And if we were to be real honest with us at times, ourselves, and look in the mirror and say, okay, what are some reasons why I don't share my faith enough or attempting to make disciples? Most of our excuses are lame, if we're going to be real and honest. If we're going to be real honest about it. And so we have to put the time and effort. Yes, it's going to take you to, to pray more. Yes, it's going to take you to understand and read the scriptures more. Yes, if you're like, I don't understand how to, to talk to another human being, find someone who's good at conversation. I can tell you that personally. 
I've grown in that aspect myself. It requires preparation. Put effort. Ask people to equip you. And that's part of my responsibility as a pastor is to equip other Christians in various aspects. And making disciples, I think, is a pretty important one. And so if our worship team can work their way up to the front here, in with a few more remarks. So the church is a group of people who live on mission to make Jesus known. The church is further called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. A great commitment to the great commandment, loving God, loving others, and the great commission, which we just learned today about making disciples, is what makes a great church. Jesus wants us to not merely know these truths, but to live them out. The church is called to be the visible image of the invisible Jesus and make him known and follow his ways. So in closing, I want to sort of plant some questions in your mind to reflect upon when you leave today. How do I, as an individual, fulfill the Great Commission? How do we, as a family, fulfill the Great Commission? How do we as a church, body of Christ, body of believers, fulfill the Great Commission? Church, join with me in prayer. God, Father, Son, Spirit, just, uh, I just thank you for the opportunity to get into your scriptures and proclaim your truths. And Lord, today, you put a mind in my heart to talk about the Great Commission and going to make disciples. Lord, let's focus that that is our main objective, that as we're being kind to other people, as we're serving other people, as we're inviting the people to church and sharing our lives and testimonies and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we don't stop at wanting people to be interested or fans of Jesus, but those who actually follow him, follow his ways, his teachings, and truly and wholeheartedly love him. And so, Lord, I just pray that we as a church, True North Church, we can grow in that passion and desire to go and make disciples. And I say all this in your son's name. Amen.